0: You are listening to A Hope in Christ with First Baptist Church of Opelousas, Louisiana. We are a biblically driven, diverse, evangelistic family of believers seeking to glorify God by calling Acadiana to a saving faith and the hope found only in Jesus Christ. To hear more, subscribe to this podcast on most major podcast providers. Or, check us out on the web at www.fbcopelousas.org. And now, A Hope in
1: Christ. If you have your Bibles with you, turn them to Luke chapter 8. Please, Luke chapter 8. As we continue to work our way through the Gospel of Luke. And as we've gone through the Gospel of Luke on Sunday mornings, We're continuing, we're in chapter 18 of the Gospel of Matthew on Wednesday nights. It has become clear, hopefully to you, that man has two fundamental spiritual challenges. Now, under these banners we can put a lot of things, but it really boils down to two challenges. The first would be our sin natures, enslaving and far-reaching power. And the second boils down to our lack of trust. And really, there's a third fact that we witness in the Gospels, and it's that these two issues torment not only unbelievers, but believers alike, those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, they may present themselves differently in the lives of believers and and unbelievers, but they are an issue for both. And we're going to see this morning, it's that lack of trust in believers that Luke has set his sights on this morning through the Lord's teaching. And and to be honest, it's a problem that many, if not most of us in the room this morning are dealing with. I mean, sure, we, we trust Jesus with the little things, the minor things like reconciling us to a holy, infinite, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God and providing us with eternal security via his assuming the guilt for the sin of all who would place their faith in him by taking the wrath of said holy, infinite, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God on the cross, paying a debt we couldn't pay, and achieving a final victory over death by his own resurrection from the grave. But when it comes to the big things, like our job problems or our family disputes, we just don't know if he's up for that right? We'll leave him handling the minors and we'll take on the big ones ourselves. And it's that lack of trust that believers have in their day-to-day lives, in truly the little things in the grand scheme of things, that this passage is about this morning to address and help us grow in our lack of trust in the trials and, and tribulations of our daily lives. Now, Luke tells groups of miracle stories in the gospel. And it's obvious when you read them and compare them side by side that he's emphasizing different truths about who Jesus is and about his work. He wants to emphasize different characteristics of Christ that are contained in these groups of miracle stories. For instance, if you look at the earlier group in Luke that we've walked through of miracle stories in the gospel, they are focused on occasions where Jesus performs those miracles in front of the multitudes. Clearly, it's done by Jesus with an evangelistic context to reach out to those who do not know him as Lord and Savior. To draw them in savingly to a trust in him. But in the next set of miracles, the next three or four that Luke tells us, beginning with this one in Luke chapter 8, the context is with his disciples. And it's clear in these miracles and Jesus' teaching in this passage and those that follow that Luke is recording this teaching For his disciples to learn how to live out their Christian life on a day-to-day basis. How do we have trust and faith living in the trials and tribulations that come along part and parcel with a fallen world? So it's not just an evangelistic purpose in what we're looking at today. But Jesus is revealing himself in an extraordinary way to his own disciples who already believe in him but who need to learn about the Christian life, who need to learn how do we persevere when the world throws tribulations our way. How do we make it? How do we learn when that phone call comes, when that doctor visit happens, to keep our faith even then? It's important for the audience standing there that day because even though they didn't realize it, their lives were at a turning point as the disciples would now start to face increasing trial, increasing tribulation, ultimately resulting in their martyrdom. Now, let me quickly say that I want to address something from the outset because this is a passage that a lot of skeptics and those trying to disprove the authenticity of the Word of God try to use. They say, aha, now this is an example of where old New Testament writers plagiarized from other Redeemer myths in the ancient culture around them. Redeemer myths that depicted gods or, or god men or demigods coming to the rescue of those who were in a helpless state. And they even performed miracles to do that. And so they point to mythological characters like Horus. In Egyptian literature, Dionysus, in Greek and Roman literature, or or Zoroaster, or Hercules, or any other of the numerous demigods or mythological figures. And they say, see, the New Testament writers are simply copying these old myths. That Jesus never existed. That he didn't perform these miracles. That they literally just plagiarized from the regions and the false religions around them, and they're attributing these things to Jesus and stealing ideas from all the pagan religions. Now, there are a couple of problems with this, a couple of really insurmountable problems if you try to make this argument. And the first one is this. You can read all of the ancient Jewish literature available, and there are tons of it that have been found through archeological means, You will not find any that have these kind of God-man-redeemer myths, these demigods. And these were the same people, understand, that wrote the New Testament. You have to remember that these are Jewish writers who believe in Jesus Christ, who in the first place are attempting to put Jesus Christ forward to other Jews and then Gentiles beyond. And in their cultural heritage, they do not have any of these demigod myths. And by the way, in their cultural heritage, it was always God himself who was the rescuer. He was the one that came to rescue his people. Not some demigod, not some superhuman, but God himself. And secondly, the Jews emphatically rejected any form of, of religion mixing. They detested combining other religious practices with the nation of Israel's religion. I mean, the whole religious system of Israel in their history had been about not doing that. Every prophet from Moses forward had forbid them from bringing in any pagan culture, any ideas or practices from pagan religion. That was absolutely not acceptable. Their entire identity was found in being set apart, being a peculiar people set apart by God, the Creator. So the idea that these Jewish believers, these Jewish writers, borrowed from pagan myths in order to interpret and elaborate on the story of Jesus Christ is just silly. I mean, it's literally unbelievable. The Jews would not have stood for it. That's clear. But there is... I will admit one parallel between these stories and Jesus Christ. And it's because man knows at his core that he is unable to handle the profound and the deep problems that life throws our way. That we need someone greater to right what we have wronged. To fix what we have broken. And the question that is asked at the end of today's passage is designed to point, you and I, to just that person. And it's not some demigod. It's not some mythical figure. In today's passage, Luke will make it clear to you and I exactly who it is. So let's go ahead and take a look at today's passage. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. As we'll read from Luke chapter 8, and I'll begin reading at verse 22. Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 22. And The perfect word of the Lord says, Now it happened that on one of those days, he and his disciples got into a boat, and he said to them, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they set out. But as they were sailing along, He fell asleep, and a windstorm descended on the lake and began to be swamped in danger. And they began to be swamped in danger. And they came to him and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he woke up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves, and they stopped, and it became calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? They were fearful and marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? If you would, go with me to the Lord in prayer. Lord, as we come before you this morning, Father, we confess that often we lack trust. That we would trust you, that we would trust Christ with our very soul, with our eternity. But it's the little things we struggle with, the day-to-day trials and tribulations of life that all too often we fear we face that storm alone. So, Lord, I pray as we look at your perfect and errant word, as we look at this sovereign display of divine power, that, Lord, it would increase our faith. Lord, right now we stand as the Father in Luke and we say, Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. Father, I pray that you would not allow anything to pass through my lips that doesn't bring you the glory that you so richly deserve, that you would minister to those in this room struggling with their faith, struggling with doubt in the little things right now, and that all that we do would glorify you, and it is in the most precious of names, the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You may be seated. So let me ask you that. If you're in the boat, and and many of us are in life right now, where is your faith? Where is your faith when the unexpected happens, when the shocking diagnosis comes? How do you react? Where is your faith when the, the unexpected tragedy shows up at your door and you find yourself completely overwhelmed to the point you wonder to yourself, Lord, what are you doing in my life? I didn't ask for this. I don't want this. Why is this here? In that moment, where's your faith? Or maybe it's right now when this economy And you're struggling to make ends meet. And you're saying, Lord, I'm an honest person. I'm a hard worker. But everything seems to be going wrong. It seems like I further drowned every time I come up for a breath of air. I don't see a way out. I don't know what you're doing right now in my life. Where is your faith then? Where's your faith there or a thousand other problems that are in the hearts of those of us sitting here in the sanctuary this morning? And if I'm speaking to you, if you're dealing with that in your life and you're questioning, then Jesus is asking you this morning because in this passage, in this miracle, he is teaching his disciples, including those of us at First Baptist Church of Opelousas, something very important about faith in those trials. First, he's showing us something about himself. And secondly, he's showing us how we're supposed to live the Christian life in the midst of the struggles I've described and so many more that I haven't. No, this is a passage that is designed to show us who Jesus Christ really is and off of that, teach us how to live the Christian life in the midst of trials. And tribulations that ultimately dominate living in a fallen world. How do we do that? How do we understand that? Well, truthfully, we've got to understand a few things. First of all, we have to understand what kind of life that we are called to live here on this earth. Secondly, we have to understand where our hope comes from in, in living this Christian life out that we've been called to live in the here and now. Third. We have to understand that there is meaning and purpose in these experiences that so often do not seem to make sense to you and I. And finally, we need to understand what the key to coping with them is. And that's how we're going to break this message down this morning. How is it that we make it through? And you're going to find that in these rich verses, just a few short verses, all of these truths are taught. Listen, this is such a profound subject that I wish we could spend a month just covering it, but as we look at this group of miracles in the coming weeks, you're going to begin to see similarities that draw your attention to each of the details we're actually going to look at today, but... There's a few things I want you to get this morning from the outset as we dive into these next few weeks of miracles. And the first thing I want you to see is how Luke reminds you that your Savior understands what you're going through. That he's not some far off, distant god sitting on a mountaintop, above, transcendent, not understanding. No, he understands what it's like to be a human. He understands what it's like to face trials and tribulations in the frailty of the human experience. Now, notice in the passage that after Jesus tells the disciples to take the boat to the other side of the lake, what does he do? He lies down and he goes to sleep and and furthermore, we're told in the passage that even the storm that blows up on this lake in Galilee does not wake him up. It says he's sleeping soundly in a tiny fishing boat in the middle of a storm. Now, I hope I'm not reading too much into this. But let me tell you what I think that tells you and I this morning. It tells us that he was absolutely exhausted. I mean, understand, this was not the Royal Caribbean. He's not in some master suite on a gigantic cruise ship, not feeling the movement of the tide in the lake. This is a tiny cramped fishing boat. Literally being battered by winds and waves. And it had to be absolutely uncomfortable for Jesus in that moment. Yet he is dead asleep. Obviously physically exhausted from the work of his father, tired from bearing the burdens of the world. And right now, some of you feel that. You feel that exhaustion. You feel that weight. You're tired from bearing the burdens of stress. You're tired from bearing the trials and and tribulations, from the burdens of family strife, from grief and tragedy, from the burdens no one else in this room may even know that you're experiencing. Right now you're wondering, some of you, if it's ever going to stop. And if I'm speaking to you right now, and some of you know that I am, I want to tell you that your Savior understands that feeling. You know, we often talk about there's a difference between sympathy and empathy. And sympathy is wonderful. To have someone say, I'm so sorry you're going through, this means a lot. But to have someone say, not only am I sorry you're going through this, but I understand that pain. I've been right where you are is a closeness and an intimacy of connection that goes to another level. And what you see in this story, and so many like it, is not only does your Lord love you, not only does he sympathize with his followers, with his children, when they go through the trials and tribulations of life, but he empathizes. You have a great high priest who experienced the trials, the tribulations, the joys, the tragedies that life, has to offer so right now the glory for the believer is as he sits by his father's side this very instant making intercession for you and I as believers he knows your pain that's such a beautiful closeness he knows what it's like I want you to understand your savior walked on this earth not just fully God but fully man. He intimately understands those burdens because he personally has borne them as well. He's been touched with the feelings of infirmities and weakness. And he's embraced all of that because of two reasons. First and foremost, to glorify his Father in heaven, which all of this is for. And secondly, because he loves you. He loves you. And he knows exactly what it feels like to be physically and emotionally and spiritually exhausted. But, but that's not even the most amazing part of this story. Understand, the best part is how Jesus wakes up. Look at verse 24 again. And they came to him and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he woke up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves and they stopped and it became calm. So the storm's raging and Jesus is still asleep. But do not miss this the moment his disciples call out to him in fear immediately the savior's awake a storm doesn't wake up Jesus Christ in this boat but the cries of his frightened disciples immediately do and he comes to their aid I don't want you to forget that that no storm no tragedy no trial is of consequence to your savior But the minute your weak and helpless voice cries out to Him, He is instantly at your side, rendering the aid that you so desperately need. Do you see what this tells the believer about your heavenly Savior and how He deals with and how He answers the prayers of those who believe in Him? The storm doesn't bother Him, but the cries of His people awaken Him And then what does he do? Look at the next verse, verse 25. And he said to them, where is your faith? So after stealing the storm, he immediately poses this question to the disciples. Where is your faith? Now understand what he's doing here. He is not rebuking them for being frightened in the midst of a life-saving, threatening situation. These men could have died. I mean, it would have been very easy for the boat to have capsized and for them to sink to the bottom. But what Jesus is asking them to consider is if they had adequately understood who it was with them in the boat at that moment. If they had factored that into their threatening situation. He's asking them, where is your faith that is in me? Because if it is, I'm right here. I was with you the whole time. See, he's drawing attention not just to the size of their faith, but who that faith was in. He's saying, do you trust in me? Do you know who I am? Do you know what I'm able to do? And of course, he answers that question. And here's the fourth thing I want you to see in this text. He answers that question by speaking to the wind and the waves, and telling them to cease, and they obey immediately. That tells you, Luke's not talking about some demigod. Every good Hebrew knew that God had created the wind, that God had created the waves, and that only God had the sovereign authority over his creation. And, And when Luke tells you that Jesus spoke to the wind and the waves, and don't you love the way he even puts it that he rebuked them? Have you ever rebuked the wind and the waves and been successful? Have you ever rebuked nature at all? I know there's a prosperity preacher that claims he can, but I'll be honest with you, I've never seen it done. Because only God has this kind of divine authority. Only God speaks and creation obeys. Luke is... If ever there was a picture of a force out of our control, it is the force of weather. And we get that, right? We live in hurricane country. We all feel the pit in our stomach when the hurricane enters the Gulf, and we don't know exactly where it's headed because we know that that is an unstoppable force that we can have forewarning, but there's literally nothing we're going to do to prevent the power that's about to befall us. This is a picture of a force entirely beyond the control of the disciples, but not beyond the control of their Savior. He speaks and it obeys. And Luke is drawing your attention to the person and and power of Jesus. And he draws your attention especially through the disciples' questions after this divine display of sovereign authority over, over creation. You see the fear. Who is this? Who is it that speaks to the wind and the waves and they obey? And Luke's answer is clear. Only God is capable. This is why those men fear. Because they realize God is in the boat. The gospel of Mark talking about this goes even further. It says they became terrified that they were greatly afraid and it's easy to understand why and I want to make sure you see this because the right proportion of understanding is critical and in the midst of the storm the disciples were scared because they had encountered a power beyond their control but now realizing they are in the midst of Jesus Christ they're in the midst of God they know they have encountered a power beyond even their imagination. And all of a sudden, that storm don't seem so big. That trial don't seem so powerful when they realize whose sovereign presence they are truly in. Because they are in the presence of the one who made the waves. They are in the presence of the one who commands the waves. He was in the boat. Now, my friends... In this, we see some things Jesus is teaching all of us about the Christian life. And the first is simply this. You need to know that in a life, this life that you have been called to live, you are going to face tribulation. And you need to understand that's not the exception. It's the rule. I mean, each of the miracles that are encountered in this section, deal with trials and tribulations that plague the human experience. And they remind us that those tribulations, again, are not the exception. They are the rule. Jesus himself teaches that in this world, you will have tribulations. Why? Because this world is filled with sin. And sin brings with it misery. And it will ever be so until the Lord Jesus changes this world. And He comes to make His blessings flow as far as the curse is found. But until then, even as believers, Scripture is clear. We live in a world of tribulation. And it shouldn't take us by surprise. But if we're going to be honest, all too often it does. When the diagnosis comes, when the tension boils over, when the economy wrecks our retirement, when life has you and your spouse at each other's throat, we wonder why. Well, the truth is, welcome to the world. This is what it's like. This is part and parcel living in a fallen world. And it's not just you and I. I mean, Jesus himself understands because he was subject to those forces when he walked this earth. That's what he teaches us in John chapter 15. That what happened to the master will ultimately happen to his disciples. And if our Lord walked a path for 33 years of trials and tribulation, then you and I can expect to walk it as well. There should be no surprise to us. But we have to work this truth down into our bones because we are all ultimately still surprised when it comes our way. Trials come and immediately the question we start asking is why is this happening? Why is the first word that comes so quickly to the lips of believers? Because fundamentally we don't expect it and we're taken off guard. And Jesus tells us over and over and the other writers in the New Testament tell us over and over and over again that it's not a question of if it's coming, it's simply a question of when. And Jesus has taken these disciples out in a boat in Galilee to teach not only them, but you and I this important truth. This fundamental truth to living out the Christian life when trials come, We should expect it. It is the rule, not the exception. And you and I shouldn't be surprised. But the second thing I want you to see is there's better news in the second point of this message. Because Jesus not only wants you to understand that trials and tribulations are going to come. He not only wants you to understand what this life is like. He also, in this passage, points us to the solution. And of course, the solution is Him. It's not looking within yourself and finding the strength to go on. It's not man up. It's not when the going gets tough, the tough get going. It's not pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. It's not if you'll just work hard and and do the right thing, it's all going to turn out. It's not even the sun will come up tomorrow. None of those are the answer. Only Jesus Christ is. His answer is not to look within yourself because the problem is entirely too great for you to handle. The answer is found in him alone. He is more than a match for any trial, any tribulation you may face. And and I love this picture. Listen, the disciples don't fully understand as they go into this storm, they don't fully get who the man sleeping in the boat is. The man who not only spoke the storm into existence, he spoke the world into existence by the power of his word alone. He created all of the oceans, the mountains, this tiny lake. He brought about the galaxy we live in. He flung it 14 billion light years across from one end to the other. And not only that, he spoke into existence by word alone, billions upon billions of other galaxies. That's who's in the boat with them. And going into this storm, they truly don't get it. They don't understand who they have in their presence. And and when they cry, Lord, we're dying. His response is simply, oh, well, stop. And it does. Listen, I want you to understand. It doesn't mean that when we cry out to the Lord, that that healing is always going to come. It doesn't mean that you're always going to be rich. It doesn't mean that your family problems are always going to work out as we hope it would in this life. Oh, for a happy few. There are those who can testify that the Lord has done this in their lives, but the truth is for most of us, for most of us, the answer is the words of Job that we sang this morning, that though he slay me, yet I will praise him. The Lord is given and the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord because the answer is still him, no matter what I face in this world. Because however he chooses to save, whether he chooses to bring relief and save in this life or through death, I am secure in his hands. And because of that, I will not look within. When those problems come, I will look to him and him alone. Now, there's a third thing I want you to understand. It's not just that there are trials and tribulations in this life. It's not just that Jesus is the answer, the only hope for his people. But third, it's that there are meaning, or there is meaning in tribulation. For those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no such thing as meaningless suffering. And understand, you have to get this. or there, there is no such thing as suffering that does not bring about God's good purpose. And to understand this is essential to make it through, to persevere. There is no circumstance that you will face that God, one, isn't in control, two, isn't the answer, and secondly, that it will not work out for His good purposes either in this life or the next. So when you're saying, Lord, I have no idea what you're you're doing in my life right now, Lord, the believer, we can thank the Lord that that doesn't exist. Do you understand that that is the very purpose of this passage? It's the very purpose of of tribulation. What does it do? It actually makes us look outside of ourselves to something greater, to someone greater. Look at what happens to the disciples here. It is this moment that for many of them is life-changing. Many of them to this moment did not understand the power. Of the one they were in the boat with. And God knew what they would face. So in this moment, He allowed them to go through the storm. They saw His sovereign power, and it was life changing for them moving forward. But do you think in that moment any of them realized that this was for God's good purposes and His plan? No. Just like you and I do so often, they felt like God had abandoned them. They thought, where is the one that I have placed my faith in? Not realizing that not only were they in the middle of his sovereign plan, but they were in the middle of his sovereign care. And it was in this trial that they learned to trust. And you know, I would ask you this. When you're going through a trial right now, we tend to be caught are prisoners of the moment. But if you look back over the course of your life, at trials you've been through, at tribulations and you're honest with yourself, there's one thing you can say, just like now, in that moment I did not see the hand of God at work. I felt like I was alone. But now through the clarity of time, I look back and I can see so clearly that I was never alone, that he was right there with me the entire time. And if he was honest and faithful to be with you through that walk, through those tribulations, then it gives you the faith to say he is honest and faithful to see me through the one I'm in right now. It prepares you. You know, the process of sanctification in the New Testament, is described typically as war, as preparing for a sporting event like a race. The refining of metals is talked about in sanctification. If you've never seen this, it's a brutal process where the metal is heated to liquid form and it is heated to such a high temperature and a degree that all the impurities rise through the surface and they're burned away. And likewise for the Christian, It's through the crucible of trials and tribulations that all of those impurities, all of those doubts, all of those sins, all of that pride that you didn't know existed exposes itself. It's under the pressure cooker of trials and tribulations that all of the things that prevent us from relationship with God, from truly trusting in Him, expose themselves and are burned away and without it, Truthfully, we wouldn't even know there was a problem. But it's through the trials and and through the tribulations that our sin is exposed and our faith is increased. It's through these trials and tribulations that that all the things in this world we long for melt away. And we realize that our chief end is to glorify and enjoy God as he is. It's where you're drawn away from this world. All the fake things the world tells you will bring you happiness and contentment and peace. When you hit those trials in life, you know what? You realize none of that amounts to anything. That only God, only Christ brings that peace and that joy that we're looking for. So this morning, there's one last thing. Jesus is the answer to our trials that we're told are going to come. But the last question is this, how do I cope? I mean, it's fine to say that he's the answer, that, that trusting in him will get me through this, but how do I cope when they come? I mean, I know Scripture says tribulations are expected. I know Jesus is the answer. I know that there is reason and purpose even in the midst of my suffering, but how do I cope through it? Well, The truth is, he's already given the answer to this question, the question of where is your faith? He's saying, listen, you're going to face trials. You're going to face trials worse than what you face right now. We're warned that it's coming along. And here is the only way that you're going to cope, that you're going to make it through them. It is faith in me. If you can believe in who I am, if you can believe that that. I truly want the best for you. If you believe that I can do the things I say I do, and trust me, then even when all the problems hit, even when nothing else makes sense, you'll move forward when your life isn't centered upon the things of this world, when you know that trials and tribulations are coming, but your faith is not in your circumstance, your faith is not in what you see around you, but in the one who sovereignly controls him. He says in that you find the strength and the peace you need to move forward. But I ask you this morning as I close out, do you feel that peace? Listen, it's one thing to say, Brother Joel, I believe it here. But my question to you this morning is, do you feel it here? Has it become such a truth, so embedded in the foundation of not only your faith, but who you are, that you can honestly say to you and honestly say to God that no matter what may come, though you may slay me, yet I will trust in you. Can you say that this morning? Listen, He didn't tell you that tribulations were coming out of meanness. He didn't tell you that to be a downer. He told you that out of love and mercy. Because if you know that storm is coming, you can prepare. So this morning, my question to you as we move into a time of response is, are you prepared? Have you truly let this sink into your heart That those tribulations are coming, that they do serve a purpose, and that ultimately my relationship and my faith is not in the circumstances, not in what I see, but in the sovereign creator who rules them all. Whatever your need this morning, maybe you've never had that relationship with Christ. If that's the case for you, then this morning freedom is offered. This morning you walked in this door a slave to your sin, an enemy of your holy and perfect creator, and yet he offers you terms of peace. He offers you love and mercy where justice and wrath were called for through the sacrifice of his son, Alone, The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 10 that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, that he will save you. And if you are an unbeliever right now, in this moment, he is talking to you. You know, you hear me say this from time to time. I can remember as a child sitting in the pews and, and hearing a preacher say, you're never promised another breath. Don't take for granted that there's always going to be more time, that there's always going to be more opportunity, because the truth is over 200,000 people will leave this earth today. And I guarantee you 99.9% of those people when they woke up this morning and they put their slippers on had no idea that today was their appointment. The preachers always say that because it's the truth. Don't take a chance of leaving this world an enemy of your creator. Accept the precious gift. Bend a knee to Jesus Christ as Lord. If you would like someone to pray with you for that or for whatever reason, I'll be down front and would be glad to. Go to the Father in prayer with
0: you. Thank you for listening to A Hope in Christ with First Baptist Church of Opelousas. To hear more, subscribe to this podcast on most major podcast providers or check us out on the web at www.fbcopelousas.org. First Baptist Church of Opelousas, one faith, one hope, one family.